Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Mad Max Minute, where we're always on the lookout for airborne reptiles in Mad Max to the Road Warrior, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 51, which begins with the Mack truck thundering towards the compound, and it ends with the bus gate rolling closed to block more raiders from getting inside. Good Monday morning, Julia. Happy Monday. I realize that we say that every Monday, the exact same Monday morning. <laughs> Does that bother you? Like maybe one of these days it's not going to be a good Monday or that we're just, we're caught in a rut? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> At least the content is different every Monday. Yes. And it's a good Monday. This is a great minute following a fantastic week. Absolutely. Last week. Yeah. So we start off with Papagallo and he's sitting on top of the tire wall. And I can appreciate that he is... Out there himself keeping watch. I feel like it's very optimistic that Max is going to come back with that truck because Papagallo is kind of betting everything he has on Max to come back with this vehicle. Because if he doesn't, then they don't really have a recourse. Right. It does make me wonder if there was ever a conversation like from Max, if I don't come back by this time, then I'm not coming back. Yeah. I'm dead on the side of the road somewhere. So I wonder if Papagallo was up there expecting to see Max come over that ridge in, you know, a certain span of hours. Hmm. I also wonder if it was just his turn, if, that, he was, if he was on watch. That could also be the case, where everybody takes turns and everybody has a shift and certain people go up and watch at certain times. But I'm kind of glad it was Papagallo that got to be the one to really take charge in this situation. Not so yes. much take charge telling people what to do, but take charge getting into the thick of it and really participating. Our modern day leaders, they go make visits to sites of tragedies to show that they can still relate and sympathize with the everyman. And we know that it's just symbolic. But this is kind of him doing the same thing. Like, yes, I'm your leader and you listen to what I say, Sort of. But I also participate in the everyday stuff. Mm -hmm. And also, they just lost eight people. Exactly. At least eight people. There are definitely going to be some reshuffling of responsibilities. Yes. So Papagallo is up there on top of the wall, and he hears the Mac approaching, because Max last week was really cranking down on that horn to get the word out. So Papagallo pops up, and he raises his binoculars so he could see what's going on, and we cut back over to the Mac. We see it thundering down the road. Before we get away from the binoculars, I just want to point out that in a world where things are scarce, this is the second set of binoculars that we've seen, not including the spyglass. So an item that I kind of would have thought would be harder to find, we've seen two slash three times. Just pointing that out. I mentioned Friday that Wes did not have a large role in Friday's Minute. And that if you were watching this movie one minute at a time, it would be very easy to forget that he's back there. Well, 
almost immediately in today's minute, we get a close-up of Wes still clinging to the side of the Mac, and he seems to be inching his way around the side of the Mac. And in the shot that shows Wes, first of all, if there's no ground, there's no speed. All of that whipping around, that's a stage fan. Because they're not going to strap Wes to the side of an actual moving car. Any more than they have to. Yeah, it'd be a lot easier just to have it stationary and fan. So, yeah, it's that rule of thumb. If there's no ground, there's no speed. So we see Wes inching his way around the side of the Mack truck. And then we cut inside the cab. And it's Max driving. And, you know, he's driving quickly. He's concentrated on the road ahead. And thank goodness they showed us Wes trying to inch towards the front of the cab before. Because out of nowhere, Wes's fist comes around and punches straight through that window and grabs Max by the face. I was very impressed with how there was no warning that it was going to happen. That was really great. And also that he managed to get his fist through the window. Like That seems like a hard thing to do. I (laughs) jumped online like I do. (laughs) And I read up from a bunch of different places the idea of breaking car windows. Now, we talked a little bit about how the windshield is the laminated glass. Yeah. That is shatterproof and comes apart in one big piece. The side windows in vehicles are often not made of that same material because they're not going to be taking direct hits as often. So instead of having the laminated glass, the pane that Wes is punching through is more likely to just be a regular old pane of glass. And when you're dealing with regular glass, it's very brittle and much more prone to smashing than modern automotive types of windows. And you take that Coupled with the fact that Vernon Wells is a very large, very built guy, plus he's wearing some sort of gauntlet that protects his hand. And so those three things together really make it no surprise at all that he's able to put his fist so easily through that window. The one thing that I instantly thought was, is this sugar glass? Because a lot of the times they'll replace regular glass with sugar glass for stunt purposes, so that way they're not actually having someone punch through real glass. And I learned something, Mm -hmm. that the way you make sugar glass is the same way that you make candy. Yeah, it was kind of thought sugar glass was candy, just poured and tempered in a way that comes out more clear, less bubbly. Mm -hmm. That's my assumption. Yeah, it's essentially water, sugar, and cornstarch and Mm -hmm. whatnot. You boil it up the right way, you pour it out into a cookie tin, and it creates a pane of sugar glass. And you have to be very careful with the temperature because every time you're boiling sugar, you have to be careful with the temperature. But if it gets too hot or if the mixture is off, it comes out looking yellow instead of clear. Mm, yeah, because so you you're starting to caramelize that sugar. Exactly. So one of the things that makes me think that it's sugar glass is A, it's a movie. <laughs> But B, just the way it breaks, because sugar glass will shatter into large pieces that are very pointy. And so that's why you've got to be careful around sugar glass just as much as regular glass, because while it's not glass, it's still sharp. But looking at the jagged edges that are left around the truck window, it makes me think, oh, that's probably sugar glass. A funny thing about sugar glass is if you're working with it and it's too hot, the glass will actually start to sweat and become a bit more rubbery, a bit more malleable. Mm, 
Yeah, I so see you've that problem. So you got to keep it chilled. So using it in this application for a movie that you're filming in wintertime in the middle of a dry climate probably worked out great. Yeah. And I mean, it's an amazing effect how that fist just comes out of nowhere, smashes right through, and then, oh, Max and Wes struggling together that is something special i did appreciate that this is the first time that they're like physically meeting they have fought each other before they have gazed at each other wistfully from a distance but this is the first time that they are coming like in close combat yeah this is the the first time they touch yes yeah (laughs) and that that can be a very powerful thing (laughs) speaking of powerful max is sitting there and he's trying to drive he is trying to get that truck to the compound, and Wes is almost trying to pull him out through the window. By his face. By his face, and Max is just thrashing his head, and I think he gets at least one or two good headbutts in to try and get Wes away, and stuck to him like glue, and it's yeah. crazy just how frantic he's getting. I like that eventually Max gets his elbow up in there and starts pushing Wes away with his elbow. He needed to do something because his goalpost, his hole, his gate is pretty narrow, especially for his big rig. So if he messes up, <laughs> it's going to be a huge mess. Yeah. And a lot of people are going to die. So he's got to hit that target. So that's a lot of action happening inside the truck. But outside the truck, we've got a couple new players that are entering the fray, so to speak. So this car coming up beside the Mac is a 1973 Valiant VH Coupe. Mad Max Movies notes that it's either a 318 or 360 engine with apparently a Pontiac GTO front on it and of course on the back of it is mounted a turret with four arrow shooting dart gun things the screenplay calls it a four pack yeah i was going to call it a porta pack because it's very similar to the quote unquote gun that we saw very early in the movie that was called a porta pack but it's structured a little bit differently so in this scene it's called a four pack yeah so instead of firing a bunch of little arrows out of a single barrel It's firing four arrows out of four barrels. Yes. So I imagine that it's a higher caliber weapon. Definitely fires larger bolts, for sure. So you've got one bad cop that's driving, one bad cop that's firing, and they come right up along the side of the Mac. And the bad cop looks over and he's looking at the right side of the Mac. Just so happens to be the same side that Wes shot into a couple of days ago. So it's already down one tire. So the bad cop shoots the arrows. And a fun note about this shot, it's 20 seconds in where the bad cop fires the arrows down towards the camera. In the last, I want to say like two frames of the shot. So it's very quick. You have to be very good with the pause button to catch it. But in the last two frames of this shot, one of the arrows is sticking back in the shot. So if you look at the rightmost barrel on that gun, a little bit below and a little bit to the right of that is the end and the fletching of one of those arrows because whatever they fired those arrows into to catch them because they're not just going to fire arrows willy-nilly into a ground because they could bounce and hit someone or anything like that. They fired it into something soft, I'm sure, to capture them, but yeah, one of them sticks out. Uh-huh. It's very quick. Probably normal people don't notice it because normal people actually watch the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of pausing every second. Exactly. So anyway, 
getting back to the movie proper, one thing that normal people are probably going to notice is that the shot of the tires exploding is, and this is no lie, the exact same shot that we saw back in minute 49. You go minute 49, second 29, frame 6. It is the exact same shot with the only difference being that back in minute 49, it was only 11 frames long. And then here, they linger more on the tire for more of the dust coming out. And so this one lasts a full second plus one frame. But it's the exact same. They filmed it once and they used it twice. I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's what we call economic filmmaking. Yes. So with that accomplished, the dart car, as I'm calling it... They pull back and move around, and they're going into the other side. But before they can really get into position, we get a high-up POV shot from the gyro captain who is flying over the action. And from that POV shot, we switch to a view of him, and he is reaching into a bag, and he pulls out a snake. I love the expression on his face. He is so happy. I think it's a combination of... He loves his whole snake thing. He loves that he has trained these snakes, that it actually works, and then he gets to eat the snakes, and he also loves that he gets to help. Mm -hmm. The gyro captain pulls this snake out of a bag in the initial shot, because every time we get a low angle on the gyro captain, it's just him sitting on a frame or something like that. In that initial shot, I think it's a real snake, but every shot after that, I'm pretty sure they use the rubber snake for when he's throwing it and when it lands on the dude and whatnot. But I'm pretty sure pulling it out of the bag, that's a real snake. Really? I think so. It's really obvious when they go from him pulling the snake out of the bag to him flying over the cart that it's a fake snake because obviously it's got wide white eyes with round pupils (laughs) and its bangs are out and it looks really dumb (laughs) (laughs) but it's not actually that long of a shot of him holding the snake's head because he goes from that to throwing it down and it lands over the shoulders of the bad cop that's manning the turret and this guy starts freaking out because there is a snake on him (laughs) and i had to look this up to remind myself but the raiders of the lost ark the first indiana jones movie came out june 1981 and the road warrior released almost a year later may 1982 and this is in america in australia it came out in 1981 later on in the year so within a year of each other we had two movies where snakes were involved with pilots like in raiders you have jock and he has his snake and indy jumps in the plane and jock's snake is up in the cockpit and he's like i hate snakes and jock's like he's my pet reggie (laughs) and then in road warrior we have the gyro captain who trains and eats snakes and he throws it on this guy and the guy freaks out and ends up shooting his friend that reminds me of an embarrassing story of myself because this is where i tell embarrassing stories about myself Don't tell me you shot someone. (laughs) No. (laughs) We were on vacation, family reunion, so there was lots of cousins and stuff there, and we were sitting out on the back porch of the house. It was late at night, not that late, probably like 9 or 10 o'clock. And we were just sitting around chatting, us cousins, and there was this gigantic... Now, in my mind, it was huge. In my mind, it was like three inches, like beetle cockroach type shaped thing on my shoulder and I flipped out. I don't usually flip out about bugs. Like I don't like them. I usually make you kill them for me, but you know, I don't usually flip out. I flipped 
That actually doesn't sound different. Oh, no. Oh, come on. It was bad. Well, I woke up my grandpa. Okay. And I got in a crap ton of trouble because I woke him up. And it was also really embarrassing because it was just a bug. (laughs) (laughs) So I sympathize with this bad cop Mm -hmm. freaking out. I didn't shoot anybody, but... (laughs) (laughs) He should be a little more embarrassed than I am about my bug. Yeah, it's an unfortunate situation. You're sitting there trying to blow out some tires with your arrows and suddenly a giant snake drops across your shoulders. And of course, he probably has a healthy fear of limbless reptiles. And so he freaks out. But what he doesn't handle well is the fact that he's also got his hands on a turret and like i said he spins that turret around the wrong way and triggers the firing mechanism and all four arrows go into the front of the car and at least two of them go into the back of the car seat and that driver just slumps over dead yes it's actually quite this whole scene is quite comical Mm -hmm. i'm not sure it's supposed to be Oh, I'm... You think it is? Yeah. It's supposed to be funny? I'm pretty sure this is a victory for the gyro captain, and everything he does is just a little bit goofy. Oh, good point. So I think it ties in very thematically to his character. Okay. That this is how he dispatches people. I like that observation. There is an entry on MadMaxMovies.com specifically about the stunt that we're about to see, because the bad cop is dead driving the car, and so the whole car starts to swerve back and forth, and it speeds off headlong towards just the moat around the compound. And so what happens is the car goes, hits a ramp, flies up into the air, goes into a stack of wrecked cars, and then lands on the other side of that stack of wrecked cars. And of course, there's a dummy in the back, and he flops around and whatnot. When you're watching the car fly through the air, you can't really see anyone in the driver's seat because that character is slumped over dead, but also because the stuntman, Max Aspen, was in a defensive position for doing that stunt. So the ramp was set up at just the right height to send the car over the pile of wrecks sitting in the moat. It was supposed to just barely clip the top car as it goes over, and then make a safe landing. However, you'll notice from the movie that it doesn't barely clip the top car in that stack. No, it smashes into it, and the whole thing hits the ground maybe a little faster than they intended and a little harder than the safety team was planning on it doing. And the story goes that Max Aspen broke his leg doing this scene. And it's not the only time that someone on the stunt team is going to break their leg. We're going to have an unfortunate story involving Guy Norris later on in this movie when he tries to do a cannonball stunt. But yeah, they were able to get Max out of the car and off to the hospital and get his leg set and whatnot. He ended up being fine in the long run. Well, that's good. Yeah. We poke fun at the safety protocols on the last movie and this movie. But I think even through all of that, the stuntmen know what they're doing. Yeah. So I think the stuntmen can be trusted. And yeah, this didn't go as planned, but... It didn't go as planned in a decent way. Yeah. Like, he wasn't seriously hurt. <laughs> the shot looks really good. <laughs> yeah. It came together really well. Yeah. That's, that's one thing about the stunt team for these Mad Max movies is, yeah, things might not be necessarily as safe as modern standards would dictate, but they get the shot. Yeah. Like, these guys get it done every time. Yes. Speaking of getting jobs done, Max 
in this next shot, drives the Mack truck into the compound, and we can see as he goes through the gate that Wes is now perched behind the cab again. He's mm. no longer at that window. So Max was able to fight him off somehow and get him to leave him alone. And it leaves Wes in prime location for, you know, the acrobatics that he's going to engage in tomorrow. Yes. I kind of imagine that as Max and the rig are speeding down the road towards the gate and Wes is aware of the situation, aware of where they are, that his first plan is to stop Max. Well, at some point along that road leading up to the gate, he's going to realize that he's not going to stop Max before the gate. Yeah. So then his plan is just to stay on the truck in a safe place so that he goes with the truck into the compound. And then once he's inside, he can move along in his plan there. Yeah. And Wes isn't the only one that makes it inside the compound. As soon as the truck comes in, we get another shot of the gate and two more raider cars get through one being the silvery customized vehicle that someone nicknamed the lone wolf gets through and then another smaller buggy goes through as well before the bus gate can slam shut right in front of a 1959 pink DeSoto. The reason you can tell it's a 1959 DeSoto, according to MadMaxMovies.com, is that the grill on the front of the car is unique to that year. But the whole thing is lifted with hot rod tires and everything like that. And it just isn't quite fast enough to get in before that bus gate closes. And the driver, we see him as the car stops, stick his head out the window. And the next shot we get is of the driver with his head sticking out the window. And we see a, I would say, overweight gentleman with a beard and a silvery helmet. And he's horrified to find himself within spitting distance of the flamethrower, but that's not the most unique thing about him. No, the most unique thing about him is his beard is dyed pink. Yeah. It's like to match his car. I'm so tickled by that. Now, quick question on the car. It is so noticeable. Have we seen it in the background of any other shots before? Oh, probably. Probably. But we haven't really brought it up. Seeing his pink beard made me question how they were getting their hair dye. Which, really, I should have questioned it long ago, but I'm doing it now. So I looked it up about natural hair dyes, things you can find out in nature. And I was looking specifically for pink. I know there's other colors, but I was specifically looking for pink. And, of course, it's beets. They're using beets to get the pink color. Beets. Yes. And it does appear that beets grow naturally in Australia. Okay. So beets is the answer. And then Wes's hair, which is more of a red, deeper, you can mix that with tea leaves and one recipe i saw used walnut oil oh for like darker colors browns and things like that yeah um so you can use those colors to like adjust the color of pink hmm. that you've got but that makes so much sense now there's somebody with like um like a turquoise hair probably which blue is not a color found in nature yeah so that has to be a chemical well what do you mean because i mean there are blue flowers and things like that in nature. Like, what do you mean blue isn't... Like, blue dye? You don't find blue dye in nature. Oh. Although, like, blueberries. Wouldn't blueberries make blue dye? Yeah. All right. No, that's just something I, like, heard. Because I know there's a whole thing about 
blue dye being very valuable at some point in history because of its rarity. Right. Like it's not, e- maybe, maybe my thinking is it's not easy to make. Yeah. Blue dye is commonly made from indigo, which is also used to make red or purple. And if you boil the leaves, you can extract a deep, true blue dye. Okay. So maybe it was hard to come by. And so that's probably where you heard the whole. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. It just, it sounded weird to me. I, I don't want to. <laughs> be the guy who puts you on the spot to back up everything you say but it just that's what the pause button is for yeah uh, i do wonder about the gray like the silver gray yeah where they would have gotten the dye maybe ash could from be campfires like, and things like, like that charcoal mixed with something else yeah yeah this is definitely what happens when we think of something at the last minute <laughs> okay so gray dye now this is they're talking about um a chemical dye i didn't find anything about how what to use in nature but they do say that a gray dye should be applied to hair that has a white silver undertone, which you can get if you use a purple toner on bleached hair. So it sounds like the gray silver that we see in Bear Claw Mohawk is a process. Okay, cool. To to get it to be that color. I'm willing to bet that there are plenty of people within the Mohawk faction that are very hair-centric. Yes. We saw that one guy with the knife that was touching up Wes's hairdo. Yep. There's got to be someone in that group that's obsessed with hair dye and how yeah. to make it and how to get it. I just feel like that's that's got to be something that's happening behind the scenes. Yes. Yeah. So we have this pink bearded marauder and he is very worried about his current situation. And so he throws his car into reverse and we get to see those rear wheels start spinning. And he's just not moving probably as fast as he needs to be because the very next thing we see is Papa Gallo just opening up the flamethrower on him. And that is how we end today's minute with Papa. Papagallo just starting to roast this guy. I can imagine that Papagallo is having so much fun. (laughs) I mean, he doesn't really seem the type to actually have fun. Yeah. But if it were me up there, I'd be like, yes! Somebody just presented themselves to me. I get to light him up. So we will be able to see the lighting process take place and proceed in tomorrow's minute. And that's where we'll pick up. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 51 of The Road Warrior. See you tomorrow.